Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey everyone, welcome to the Whiskey Raiders podcast. I'm Jay, managing editor of WhiskeyRaiders.com, and I'm joined by my great friend, John Henderson of the Bourbon Finder. He and I have been drinking whiskey together uh, virtually for a very long time, and we realized it was time to open up, uh, you know, kind of what we do to all of you at home. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. This is the first episode of the Whiskey Raiders podcast. We're going to have a good time. Uh, looking forward to covering all sorts of cool stuff, but we figured, why not go ahead and start a little bit easy. Uh, John, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm excited about getting into uh, these fine whiskeys that we've got here for the review portion of tonight's show. Really excited to dig in a little bit, talk about some whiskey and hang out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, this this is fun. We've been talking about doing this literally four years. So when it came up over on Whiskey Raiders, we were like, you know, this is perfect. This is a great opportunity uh, you know, we kick back, we drink a lot of whiskey. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, I am the spirit critic over at whiskeyraiders.com. So if you're ever like curious about a whiskey, go ahead and check out my review or John's review. Um, but tonight we've got two exciting whiskeys that I think will be fun. Uh, especially we've got kind of a big one here, but before we go ahead and dive on into that, tell me a little bit about the bourbon finder. Sure. So I'm John, as you mentioned, and I kicked off a little outlet called thebourbonfinder.com. So originally I had planned this to be sort of like a combination of like a yelp.com or like another type of uh, almost like a hotels.com where you could kind of be like, hey, I live in this state and I'm looking for this particular product. And that product being whiskey, of course. And as I was building this out and developing it, I realized that there just wasn't enough state-driven data that I could make it a useful repository for bottles that were available or sold or what they had sold for. So while the idea sounded great in early development, as I got about a, a third of the way into building my website, I realized that it was not really going to take off the way I wanted. And I was like, well, I need an outlet for all of these whiskey thoughts I have anyway. I'll scrap the idea of making this into like a serviceable website and it's going to become my blog and it's going to be my resource for sharing whiskey with people. And I'll get to, you know, have my own musings and thoughts and things like that smattered around the internet. And hopefully it takes off in some way that people enjoy it. And that is sort of why the idea of the Bourbon Finder came out as, like, 
right now I currently get questions emailed to me frequently of like, can you help me find this bourbon? And I think to myself, <laughs> well, damn it, I shot myself in the foot with this name. But I had already done the research. There wasn't any URL that was similar to it at the time. There was no social media presence with it. There was nobody actively using the bourbon finder as a name. And I ran with it. And, you know, here I am still using the same damn name because it would just take way too much time to rebrand it all now. And that's sort of like the bourbon finder in a nutshell. Uh, myself, when it comes to whiskey, got into it uh, in my early 20s. I don't even care to like talk about how old that makes me feel currently. But <laughs> it was sort of my main thing. And I came to it from a cooking perspective. We've talked about this uh, here and there on our YouTube channel on Weekly Whiskey. But I came to whiskey just for like the flavors of it all. I kind of got really hooked on like the oak driven flavors and how there was so many different layers of sweetness and what else goes on in whiskey and pairing that with barbecue sauces that I would make or marinades or whatnot. And I started experimenting with different types of bourbon, realized that when it came to the whiskey I was using, it actually impacted the food enough that I like to pair the bourbon with the food. Long story short there, led myself down the rabbit hole of wanting to try all of the bourbons I could try. And uh, here we are trying as many as possible, talking about them and sharing our thoughts with the audience. Man, the uh, the main the main man musing for for those in the right. audience. Jane is based up in uh John is based up in Maine. John Maine Jane. Um mm -hmm. I'm based up in Wisconsin. Uh you guys may know me better by the name Take uh, T ain't K E. That's how I'm known on the internet. Uh, I got my start writing for Reddit. I still write for Reddit. In 2020, uh, Dan Abrams and I launched WhiskeyRaiders.com, which is, uh, I would say, uh, I mean, we'll go with what I've been saying for the last two years. We're, we're the rotten tomatoes of whiskey. So Has it uh, failed you yet, looking... man? Stick with it. <laughs> I just hope that someday someone at Rotten Tomatoes is like, hey, you <laughs> hey, can't by, do that. By the way, the... stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knock that off. I mean, but it's the perfect way to describe WhiskeyRaiders.com. Uh, my review kind of sits at the front. We aggregate all the reviews from everyone with a voice uh, that's authentic in the world of whiskey. So if you're looking for, uh, you know, uh, a whiskey and, and basically everyone, including John, who's written on it, the scores are aggregated together. And we have uh, news coverage every day. So if, um, you know, a new story breaks, uh, a new release is out, perhaps uh, a distillery gets bought by a major conglomerate. We have all of your news and insight there quickly become one of the top whiskey websites online. And uh, as a result, this just means that John and I talk about whiskey a lot. So we're, we're kind of hoping to be your source. Uh, you know, we're not just going to review whiskey. We'll give you some insight, some analysis. He and I have been working with people in the industry side by side for years now. Uh, you know, we know most of the major players as well as the other writers and reviewers and personalities. And that gives us a little extra insight to help you guys dig into what matters and doesn't matter and what's good and bad. And honestly, we just like to talk about it. So looking forward to a good time. I'm super pumped for this show. And I think that that about covers the basics. I mean, I got into yeah. it back in college and realized that I like bourbon and was like, all right, I'll wait till I graduate and actually have money to try out a few. But I've been writing whiskey reviews by the, you know, by the thousand now. And Wild Turkey 101 was my first. Still like it every day. And we've got some stuff that's way better the wild turkey 101 here tonight um and if you guys if you like video content and all i'm doing solo content over at whiskey raiders on youtube john and i are together multiple times a week on the weekly whiskey project which is also you know presented by raiders we got so much cool stuff going on so 
Uh, we hope you'll stick around, join us, share us with your friends, and most importantly, share a little whiskey with us. Nicely done. I think the only thing that I would have added to that is you guys are actually, you know, picking up on the Bourbon Finder theme here is in your email blast. You guys are throwing in there deals and like hard to find whiskeys or great deals on whiskeys too. But if you're looking to have that stuff spoon fed to you and make your life extremely easy, uh, the team over at Whiskey Raiders is on the email list sending out great deals and great finds on whiskey. So stay tuned for that. Sign up for the email list. Yeah, great call out there. If you, uh, It's basically whiskey on your lunch break. So if you sign up, uh, whiskeyreaders.com, you'll get the deal of the day email. We've got some you know, tidbits on the most important things that happen each day, and it comes in on your lunch break. So sign on up. Um, and we'll, uh, You guys you know, got all the best uh, taglines going here. Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> of Whiskey, Whiskey on Your Lunch Break. I got the the bourbonfinder.com, man. I mean, you, you do your King of the Hill series. That's pretty prolific. I haven't really done a whole lot of King of the Hill in quite some time. But, I mean, I felt like it was a cool idea at the time. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've kind of taken a lot of your time from you, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll bear yeah. that across. But <laughs> Fair enough. Well, what do you say we get into some whiskey? I mean, I've been getting into the whiskey, as I am known to do. But um, yeah. what do you say we officially get into the whiskey? Maybe discuss our tasting process a little bit, but also talk about what we're going to go through here and how it all works out. I also am looking at our outline here and realizing that I am going to be tasting these in the reverse order that they are posted. Just, oh, okay. You're just trying for your to throw information. me for a loop in episode yeah. one. Yeah, I wrote the damn thing and I still am doing it backwards. So get ready for that. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, hey, John and I, you know, it's as good as time as any for us to dive into the whiskey. John and I like to be pretty conversational. You know, a lot of people think that tasting whiskey is like this really pretentious and technical and difficult and impossible process. And I think you'll realize very quickly that, you know, we write detailed notes, but drinking whiskey should be fun. You should drink it how you like it, all that good stuff. So why don't we go ahead and start if I'm picking up your cue with Found North Batch 5. That's right? the one. Absolutely. So yeah, like Jay was saying, you know, this can be as an elaborate or as complex a process as you would like it to be. This doesn't have to be something that's done in three minutes. It doesn't have to be something that's done in three hours. However you're comfortable with this is how you should approach it. The way that I try to, like Jay mentioned, we're very conversational with this. The way that I try to approach my tastings and even the way that I write when I'm writing these is as conversational as possible. What thoughts come through my head as I am nosing a glass of whiskey or tasting it or just going through the finish and trying to dissect it a little bit. It doesn't need to be something that is over the top and clinical. It can be just like a fun time that you're sitting down with your friends and talking about, geez, I really like this. What do I like about it? And I find that the more you're able to talk about the whiskey, the more you're going to pull out of it in terms of flavor notes or just overall impressions. So as we go through some of these, I say, let's just uh, have a couple of sips and chat it up. Definitely. And one thing I noticed too, is, you know, what's the point of being overly technical, right? Like the whole point at the end of the day is to try whiskey and be able to talk about it with other people. So no one, you know, don't do like the whole check plus viscosity, acidity, tannin and stuff like taste it, like it, get the notes. And I see, I mean, you're already digging in here. I'm already behind episode one and I'm, I'm left in the dust here, but Found North is Classic. a, is a cool brand. They're bottling Canadian whiskey and rye. This is a blend of 21 and eight-year-old whiskey. And typically, you know, we've enjoyed the first couple batches, but I poured this guy at 73% corn and 27% wheat. And I can smell the wheat like across my desk. Like this yep. thing is just kind of like wafting. Yeah, the wheat it. jumps right out for sure. I feel like they work together in the glass very well. 
but the very first thing I noticed on the nose was also that wheat, that bright kind of like winterberry, uh, cracked wheat, freshly baked bread kind of thing going on. Uh, on the palate, I felt like it was a little bit more buttery. But the one thing that I'm really curious about here is I wish we knew which component was the 21 year. Right. Although I've got to guess. Uh, I would really be curious where this lands for you on the oak scale. So to anybody checking out our content here for the first time, we can frequently use oak as sort of a divining line here between Jay and I and what we will or won't like. Meaning, if something is oakier, I tend to like it, whereas Jay will run screaming. So right. <laughs> this, I feel like, has enough oak in there that I'm curious what this is doing for you because I, I dig it. I think it's dark, rich, a little bit buttery, but then it does come through a little bit drier than I'm... I feel like if somebody asked me to rate this for you, I would say this has the potential to be a scary one for Jay. Yeah, and, and when we talk about oak here, you know, uh, whiskey is aged in an oak barrel. If it's bourbon, it's aged in a new oak barrel. These being from Canada, they don't have that requirement, but, you know, the whiskey comes off the still completely clear. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of character other than from the grain, and as it sits in the barrel, it picks up color. The cold seasons draw the liquid out of the wood. The warm seasons push it into the wood. And, and that time, you know, over the days and the months and the years and, and the cold nights and all that stuff, you know, it's it's pulling out character from the wood. And so when, when whiskey gets really old, sometimes it gets really uh, dry and bitter and kind of wood chippy and charcoaly. And when things get too much like that is typically when I run for the hills. Uh, ironically that's when john is usually like standing up and down like jumping and celebrating and like pouring it you know everywhere uh, but that's kind of a dividing line when we taste whiskey and this guy you know it's really sweet on the nose like i do get kind of those pancake syrup notes there's a light yes. berry like it's really full of, of just like toffee and richness and i do get that bitterness you're picking up on but i actually i don't think it's too much here it, it's right at the very end so like if you you know you smell it and you taste it i feel it right on the back of my throat, but just for like a pinprick, just for like a second. And yeah. I think if it was a little more bitter, I would be out on this. But initial impressions, this is actually, this is like dessert with a nice little, a little woodiness to it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good way to put this. Um, this reminds me of like, maple cream it reminds me like you said a little bit of that pancake style note mm -hmm. which i think comes through from that wheat obviously and it really just kind of works it's pretty well balanced this doesn't lean very far in any one direction it's not like it's throwing anything off uh i think overall this is pretty cool and so this is going to be age dated as an eight-year whiskey right although the components in it are eight years old and 21 years old of course they can only list it 
by the youngest component in there. So it'll be age dated as an eight year whiskey, which I feel like sells it short because it does drink well above that in age. Uh, coming in at 116.2 proof. So it's definitely, I mean, everything that Found North does is bottle the cask strength. They don't mess around with anything that's, uh, you know, diluted, no additives or anything. They're very, very much making a whiskey enthusiast product. And that's very intentional. I mean, I think when we spoke with Nick Taylor, he's almost, it took them over 10 months to create their very first batch. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> he spent so much time blending, like to the nth degree of modifying their blend in the lab by like 1% of this component and 1% of that and seeing what those changes made overall. The meticulous care really shows in some of these because they're really, really nice. I'm with you there. Um, you know, we talk about proof and stuff. This is 58.1% alcohol by volume. So ABV uh, proof is just that number times two. So sometimes people talk about proof and AVB like they're, they're interchangeable. Not quite. Um, but this guy's pretty high proof at 58% alcohol. Like this is north of what a lot of people drink on the day to day, unless you drink right. a lot of, you know, high end whiskey. Um, and it is cool. If you think about it, kind of like baking a cake, like you have to be careful when blending whiskey. If you put in the wrong ingredient, just like if you put a little too much salt in a cake, you know, you, you notice that right away. And I'm, I'm certain that was probably true when they blended this together too, but Shit. you got to do the cooking by the book, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and for a lot of these brands like found North, you know, is, is made up of Zach and Nick who are brothers. Uh, there is no book like so many brands are are both reading they're reading their writing as they write it because a lot of this stuff is very pathfinding so it's really cool to try whiskey like this especially it's very different but honestly because it's delicious I'm, I'm a big fan of this one I think it's sweet and it, it tickles all those notes that I really like it's it's like dessert on the table with just enough oak to be pleasant yeah I think it's also the first product of theirs that we've tried that does not contain rye in it Right, which I was is thinking about that. Interesting for me because I have really liked the stuff that they have made with their rye, especially the stuff that is very rye driven. You know, more than fifty one percent of the blend being rye. Which another thing I guess we should really quickly touch on here is that on all of their labels, they include what looks to be like a grain bill or a mash bill on the side, where it'll say something like this bottle in particular says seventy three percent corn, twenty seven percent wheat. That's not actually the grain or mash bill. That is the liquid blend. So that's 73% of the liquid in the batch was 100% corn distillate. And then 27% being 100% wheat. So they're buying these components as like a 100% corn whiskey, a wheat, barley, rye. Like So these are all individual ingredients effectively that they're buying and blending carefully. And a lot of times, even then after they blended them, putting them into other casks for secondary maturation. I mean, it's just like not actually unlike what Barrel Craft Spirits is doing with a lot of their blends and the things that they're cooking up in their crazy ass kitchen down there. So it's really cool to see just the spin that they're putting on this. And then, you know, being that it is called Found North and these are all sourced from Canada, it's just a whole different spin, but a really cool thing for the whiskey enthusiast. Yeah. And when we, when we talk about like mash bill and grain, you know, that's just the ratio of grains and no one that we know of except these guys really kind of just talk about like this is exactly what you're getting a lot of times people tell us how much corn you know is you know how much corn and rye and malted barley but those things are never actually translated to the volume post distillation because you know 10 pounds of corn 
doesn't get you the same gallons of distillate as 10 pounds of rye or malted barley. So if, if you really enjoy details, if you're looking to branch into a whiskey and, and kind of know everything about it, like right at the first step from the label, this is a good option. It's a little bit pricey, probably around the $150, $140 price point. But a 21-year-old whiskey is not cheap, and at cast strength and and no additives and knowing exactly what's in it, you know, that's kind of the going price of transparency these days. And honestly, yeah. pretty delicious. <laughs> like, I'm, All right. I mean, and you're not getting something that is six to eight years old on these. I mean, they're using very highly aged components. I think, uh, right. th- I think the eight-year in this might be the youngest component that we've seen them release. Most of this stuff is north of 15 years. Uh, north pun most certainly intended there. But... If you look at these things overall, these are very much an enthusiast-grade product. This isn't something that you're going to bust out on a casual Tuesday night and have a sip as you're watching a, a hockey game or something. This is the one that you'll take out on a Friday night or bring over to a party with some friends and kind of sit down and just talk about it, discuss it, have a couple of pours, and then put that bottle away for the next time that you have the right occasion for it. So I think for a more special occasion whiskey, not necessarily like a holiday bottle or like something like that, but a uh, a more special occasion type of bottle, I think the price is all right here. Yeah, it, it's pricey. Like we we there's, yeah. there's no other way to say that <laughs> this is on the expensive side. It's not the most expensive thing we'll drink. It you know, and it's certainly not the cheapest. But uh, there's a lot to be said for transparency. You can buy a lot of whiskey from a lot of people for a lot less money and, and have some questions about it. And I think that, you know, the, it kind of makes this an easy one to approach because you can read literally all about it from the front label and know whether, you know, if you're a person who's like, I don't really like sweet whiskeys. Well, uh, this is a lot of corn. This is a sweet guy and wheat is not making it less sweet either. So those details I think help. And, and, you know, there isn't a lot of it to go around. So I think it'll be, you know, it's not going to sit on the shelf forever anyways, but uh, overall I like it. I, I was thinking, like, would I put this in a cocktail? No. I think this this is a purely a bottle for the neat shelf, but I really like this batch. This is their fifth one. I think they've kind of got their process dialed in by now. Yeah, it certainly seems so. I, I like what they're doing. I'm excited to see where they go. I hadn't expected this product to come out, something without the rye entirely, and something right. where they're dropping that age statement by adding a younger component. Obviously, they were very excited about that eight-year component to put it in there and, you know, make this batch the way it was. So... Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's cool. Definitely a a slightly elevated sort of pour. Like I said, not a Tuesday night whiskey, but I do dig it. So uh, okay. I'm excited about moving on to talk about the next bottle that we've got here. Yeah, this is definitely, there's no way to put it other than this is like a celebration, a promotion, maybe a birthday, a wedding, you know, uh, this is probably the most expensive whiskey I think that's crossed my desk all year. And if it yeah. isn't, it's certainly close. Um, yeah, we're, this we're is of course <laughs> the very definition of special occasion bottle. Right. I mean, uh, the packaging, uh, you know, we may as well just dive into it. So for folks who um, maybe haven't tried Whistlepig before, this comes from Whistlepig uh, straight from the farm in Vermont, USA. Uh, this is a rye whiskey, and this is their annual release called the Boss Hog. So before we dive into this and get some notes going, uh, should we we dive into limited editions real quick, John? Like, you know, th- this comes out yeah. once a year, right? Yep, that's correct. 
All right. So one, once a year, this comes out, um, you know, usually brands uh, have what's known as a core portfolio. So they have bottles that they release all year round. They have bottles that they want to make sure are always on the shelf for people to buy. Um, but every now and then some brands do it twice a year, or four times a year or once a year. In this case, uh, they roll out a limited edition. It's usually maybe it's older, maybe it's better. Uh, maybe it includes some really rare components or some extra finishing casks. So like, you know, might, they might take their whiskey and put it in a different, like a wine cask or something that's not just used American oak or new American oak. Um, and some of them like bump up the proof or the price. This is, if I'm not mistaken, is all of those things. This is Boss Hog 9 and it's called The Siren Song. Yeah, so this picks up kind of where the last two editions of Boss Hog were sort of a coast to coast or continent to continent driven yeah. um, release where they explore different types of oak, different types of finishes. And so they're using this high age data. Actually, I don't think they're age dating that. I'm sorry. They're using their mature, right? I, I want to say that the Boss Hog 7 was 17 years age dated, but I may just be uh, confusing the, the details on that. So no, go no, ahead. no, you're totally right. Like, it, okay. and it's hard because they don't put the like we know that this is a 17 year old whiskey, but they don't put that on the bottle anymore. Okay, so like, you know, it's kind of in that technicality land. Like, we technically this is no H statement. We had to write it like such on whiskey readers, but um, we know that this holds their oldest whiskey. Right. So this is going to be their like richest, boldest, oldest, and most mature whiskey that goes into these expressions. They've got sort of like a. Uh, a set of tenets that go along with boss hog on things like it's always going to be cask strength. It's always going to be single barrel, which we'll have to touch on how that works. But, um, it's always going to be like this opulent over the top, delicious experience. And it's supposed to be something unique. You've never had something like this before, which maybe the earliest expressions of boss hog were a little bit tougher to say that. Although if you transplant back to that time and you drop John and Jay into nine years ago and say, Hey, have you ever had a uh, rye whiskey like this one? I'm going to say no, because at the time I hadn't. So in today's world, it's tougher to look back at those earlier expressions and think that they're super unique because this one here, this takes unique and then kicks it in the nuts <laughs> and then drags it through the mud and says, I'm going to show you what unique is right now, because this is something totally off the wall, crazy. And it's really cool. So the actual finishing on this was something that I, I mean, when this label first hit the TTB, like the cola approval came through, I was, I thought it was a joke. I was like, what in the hell is this going to be? It is finished in Greek fig nectar and a scratch made tintura, which is a Greek liqueur that, that I think the closest approximation I could have, because personally I had never heard of this before. And I feel like many American whiskey drinkers likely have not is that if you could picture Jägermeister, not necessarily in flavor profile, but in the fact that it is like an herb and spice driven liqueur, I think that is the closest approximation I could give you to be like, it is a Greek version of this with its own set of herb spices and flavors that go along with it. And Whistlepig, instead of sourcing this, of course, decided they're just going to make it. So they scratch made their own <laughs> everything for this. So they made their own Greek fig nectar made their own tintura and then they were like okay now we can chuck that stuff out of these casks and we can age our whiskey in there to then make the blend jay i don't even know what to think about that type of process like what kind of creative meeting does that look like 
Right, right. And, and it, it's funny, when, when this announcement hit the internet, all I heard was silence for an hour afterwards. And I can only imagine that's because everyone Googled like, uh, what's Greek Tentura? And, and I have yeah. to say, I just spent two weeks in Greece and Tentura never came up once. So we are scratching the most obscure itch. Tentura of obscure. obscure. Yeah, Tentura obscure. That's what they should have called it instead of the siren song. But um, yeah, this is old rye whiskey finished in possibly the most unique barrels I've ever heard of. And, and having tried thousands of whiskeys at this point, that's a that's a pretty bold statement to make. Right. And on top of it, you know, it's bottled at um, pretty hefty. You know, this one's 54.7% ABV. And then they put it in this fancy bottle with like a pewter topper and everything. Um, this just screams like, of course, like no wonder it can only come out once a year. It took a right. whole damn year to, to concoct this and yeah, get someone to like, I hope they contacted like an old school, like Greek person was like, tell us about Tentura. Cause I don't even think it's really made that much anymore. Like I think it was an old yeah. historical drink. So the lore behind this release, every release of Boss Hog has its own story and its own lore. And you can like, you could dive deep. So if you purchase a bottle of Boss Hog, you can register that bottle and you can then join into the Boss Hog forums and talk about that. Like, this is like way deep rabbit hole stuff. Like, this is borderline dark web material for people. Like, <laughs> you need to be careful going into the rabbit hole of Boss Hog because you can fall in and get lost. But the lore behind this is that Liz Rhodes and Megan Ireland, who are the head of whiskey development and the head blender at Whistle Pig, respectively, were on a trip to Greece over the summer and fell in love with certain flavors there and the food and drinks that they got into. I don't know where they went that you didn't, that they were sipping tentura and whatnot, but hey, they must have had a hell of a time because they came back with this wild-ass idea of, and not only is it unique, as you mentioned earlier, Jay, this is the first whiskey ever, they say this on their website, this is the first whiskey ever finished in fig nectar and tentura barrels, which to me kind of screams like, well, fucking obviously, because who the hell would have thought of this besides Whistlepig? But, right, and who would age it in one or the other, let alone right. both? Both, like, yeah. Let's just do course. both. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised. Right, so here we are coming up with these things that nobody's ever heard of before or tried. Nobody in the American whiskey world, obviously. And on top of that, the pewter top that you mentioned is made in Vermont as well. This edition of Boss Hog has nine different toppers. So these are now what is, I think, largely considered a fairly collectible whiskey is now even more collectible because um, not unlike Blanton's, it is sporting different toppers that you can collect all the different ones. So I can only imagine what that'll do to some people's bank accounts. And on top of that, they also, for the first time, rolled out NFC technology in the back of the label. So you could touch your phone to it and it'll oh, pop neat. right up. And then you can register your bottle, claim ownership of that bottle. So it shows, it's like a path of authenticity, for lack of a better term. So okay. When you buy this collector's edition whiskey that costs 600 fucking dollars you get to then actually make sure that you could say hey yes i do claim this bottle i own it and you can again like i said get into the forums and talk about it with people but for now man i need to take a break from talking and i need to get into some of this because i could <laughs> smell it just sitting on the desk here and it's it's doing things to my brain i know it's killing you to not be drinking it oh, it is second. killing me man <laughs> I mean, the flavor on this is just incredible. And I'm glad that they released this in the fall because this tastes like Christmas to me. It's, it's got like those spice drops and pound cake. It's got like tobacco and, and you know, oh, some yeah. of that like anise. It's, it's, 
like the fig is there, the rye is there. This is so interesting and just crazy. And it's blowing my mind, which is really hard at this point to have something this unique. And I feel like every time I sip it, I get a different flavor, which is really interesting. Like sometimes it's like uh, cocoa covered cherries and, and spice drops. And other times it's, it's tobacco and coffee bread. And other times, you know, it just tastes like pure brown sugar and rye spice and, and all that kind of stuff. But like, what a wild whiskey. And also like, what a risk. Like it's already hard to sell $600 whiskey, but to sell 600 whiskey, like $600 whiskey that no one has ever reasonably tried before. Yeah. This is batshit crazy in both <laughs> idea and in flavor. It is really, really fucking nice. I mean, this is, I have like no, it? I have no issue saying that this is whiskey of the year material right Ooh, off my very okay. first sip. Like this is, and which this here is most certainly not my first sip of it. I should probably add. Um, I've been digging deep into this to really get involved with it. And I think the amount of layers of spice that are going on in here are very evident on the nose, but it's also like, like you mentioned, like there's a spice drop component there that I totally, I agree with that, uh, that assessment. But as I dig into this, I'm also reminded of like an orange spice cake with a like mascarpone type of frost thing. Like there's a real like cool velvety creaminess right up front on this in terms of texture. I think it's just like super opulent in the way that this drinks. And there are so many layers to it where it's like you said, there's some fruit components in there for other. It's like it does come through sometimes as like a fig jam or an orange peel or a cooking orange or even a blood orange. You get some of this like dark cherry note like you mentioned too. And that can kind of like be its own roller coaster. But then you start throwing in like, oh, geez, there's like a real good hit of cinnamon in here on this sip. And then maybe on an exhale, you're like, oh, I hadn't really noticed it. But there is like this little kick of uh, anise or licorice or maybe even like a fennel seed kind of thing happening. Oh, yeah. And then on the next one, you're like, huh, that does almost have a little bit of uh, like a cocoa powder or like a dark chocolate happening. And like, I feel like it would be really interesting, I think, to give this a 10 different whiskey reviewers yeah. blind and say you can only pick out five notes that you're going to get more than that but pick out five and share them and then see when you get 50 different fucking answers because this has just so much going on yeah i'd be surprised if the same person like if different people give you the same notes because it's kind of crazy uh i overall I was going to ask you if you think this is a success or not, but it sounds like if you're talking whiskey of the year that we're already there, this, yeah. this is weird. And, and I don't mean it in a bad way. And I don't mean it in like a, Hey, watch out kind of way. Like this is strange, but works in a way that I haven't seen in quite some time. Like I have no, no qualms about being like, it's weird, but I think just about anyone will like it, which is, you know, kind of a bold endorsement, but it's bizarre but it's delicious. Like I, I wish more rye tasted like this. Obviously yeah. we're going to need to get more fig nectar and tentura <laughs> into the United yeah. States to make that happen. But Seriously. I didn't know we needed tentura this bad, but holy shit. Right. I didn't know we were missing out on this flavor profile. Um, especially as winter comes like this is. Oh yes. Right there with midwinter's night dram for me of like a, it's a cold night. I want something spicy, fruity, sweet, different. Interesting, a million percent dude. Yes. It grabs my attention and this doesn't. Yeah, this is a very, very, like comparing it to Midwinter Night's Dram is a great idea. 
I mean, not in terms of like pricing or availability or anything along those lines, just in the fact that like this instantly teleports you right to like sitting in front of a fireplace, sitting next to the Christmas tree, sitting down to a Christmas dinner or, or like a New Year's dinner, even like a, just a very holiday focused palette of very big spice vibes that are counteracted with a ton of fruit. So it's not like this is all spice and it's right. not like it's all 17 to 20 year rye that is driving you nuts with being a little bit too oaky or a little bit too rye driven. This is just an absolute fucking orchestra of so many different flavors happening in like a really cool way. It's not just like overdriven any, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have a great way to articulate just how weird, but cool this is. Yeah, this is one I would say if you're at a bar and you don't mind paying a few dollars, try this out. It it may not be full bottle camp. And, and certainly, I mean, this is expensive whiskey. This is not yeah. like it would be really rash for me to be like, all right, everyone go buy the $600 whiskey, you know, and, and, and I have to think Whistlepig, they did send it to us. So we didn't have to go out and pay $600 for it. I would after tasting it. But, you know, so I want people to be in a similar scenario. You should go taste it and be like, OK this is great. Or maybe Absolutely. you'll be like, no, this doesn't scratch any inches for me. And $600 to anyone is a lot of money. And so maybe we'll cover, you know, we'll cover some like budget stars in an upcoming episode. But for this guy, it's bizarre. I think overall what Whistlepig is hoping is that the experiment worked. And I think for me, the experiment definitely works. Whether I would hope that maybe they can kind of do what Barrel does, which is you know, they have a $500 seagrass and a $250 seagrass and a $75 seagrass. But I would love to see a $100 whistle pig finished in 10 terry casks. Like make it make it uh, something you do a little more often because that's that's wild. And they have cornered that market. Yeah, this could very well be the Vermont version of a seagrass if done right. right. That's a really cool idea. I would love to see that. Yeah. And, and for anyone who who doesn't know barrel seagrass is a rye that's finished in like apricot and I want to say, is it Madeira, Madeira. And, yep, and Martinique um, rum and Martinique rum. So uh, is also a bizarre rye and you should go check it out. It, it's 75 to $85. It should be on most shelves. Like I hope to see, uh, you know, a siren song edition of just normal whistle pig that's under a hundred dollars or right about there. Cause I think that that could be a huge success for them. And that's all I can think about drinking this guy. Yeah, that makes total sense. And where this is like a winter whiskey all day and every day, it is a holiday in a glass. It, it is like eight holidays in a glass. I <laughs> think every holiday. Seagrass is the the perfect yin to that yang, right? It is summer in a glass. It is the one where I recommended numerous times to when people say like, what's the best summer drink? Or we're going out on the boat. What do we bring? We're going to the beach. What do we bring? I just say, like, bring eight or ten straws and a bottle of seagrass. Put the straws in the bottle and everybody can have a sip because it's fucking perfect for summertime. This, perfect for wintertime. I would not do the straw thing with the $600 bottle, just for the record. Yeah, Although, yeah, it would still be pretty kick-ass. That would be, uh, yeah, it'd be like a golden straw. Like, it would yes. be weird to put, like, a plastic straw. In yes. And, it, and it's kind of cool, you know? It's... I feel like Whistlepig does have a good grasp. For $600, you don't just get a normal bottle. You get a cool bottle, beautifully done. Uh, there's art in the topper. It's handmade. It's made in the USA. It comes in a fancy box. You have the whole tap your phone to the bottle kind of thing. The premium whiskey sphere is interesting because it's it's marketed to so few people. But 
this one too, I feel doesn't lean in any weird gimmicks. Like it seems like it might from when you're like big nectar question mark, you know, but overall, I don't think this is a gimmick laden just way to snatch people's money. Like they really are going to be hoping that people try this, appreciate it and think about it because an unbelievable amount of work had to go into making this happen. Absolutely. I mean, just like you mentioned, the amount of time to once you have decided this is what we're going to do to create these individual things like the fig nectar and the tentura to then take the whiskey age in there or secondary maturation in these casks and then blend it and then get your labels done. All of these nine different pewter tops, this uh, custom boxes that these come in. There's so many pieces to this release. It makes sense why it's a one time of year thing. These type of crazy rare whiskeys are fun for more than just the sip in the glass. That said, if you are on the fence about this, or if you just want to try it, I think it would also make for a really cool, whether it's an anniversary, uh, date night, birthday, whatnot. If you can find this at a bar, even if it is a bit expensive, give this one a try and have this be like sort of that like milder special occasion thing where it's like, I'm going to give this a whirl. I would say up to 50, 60, maybe even 75 bucks for a pour of this just to give it a whirl is a really good way to kind of get involved with this really crazy expression. Try it out and see if this type of super rare whiskey is for you. Yeah. And, and on a final note, you know, 70 bucks for a pour of whiskey at a bar. That's a ton of money. Totally ton, get it. Ton of money. Also, though, this has a redeeming quality in that it's so different and so flavorful and not like a pungent, overpowering way. Even if if you're newer to whiskey and you're like, you know what, I still don't really know about tasting stuff. I guarantee when you taste this, something will come to mind. And that's it really jump. what tasting whiskey is all about is it's making connections to things and experiences you've had before. And that's why, you know, people who spend a lot of time cooking typically can taste whiskey a little bit better. It's not like you don't have superhuman taste buds for the most part, but it's all about kind of making those connections to things you've had. And this has such a diverse array of just flavor in it that I know that anyone could try this. And, you know, and that's why we kind of talked about, like, if you put this in front of 50 different people or five different people and said, give me a couple of notes, like there could be so much writing on the paper because there's a lot going on. This is going to trigger a lot of different thoughts for a lot of different people. And I would be surprised if someone could taste this and be like, this doesn't, you know, remind me of anything. This, right. this will give you a reaction, which I think is interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. So, I mean, final conclusion here. This is a extremely unique bottling. By all means, this is something that you will hear about again from me. Be ready for that. And I think at this point here, I'm kind of ready to turn it over, maybe hit up a couple of discussion points as we uh, move out of the review portion of the show. What do you think? Yeah, we're going a little long winded, but I, you know, there is a big kind of elephant in the room these days in whiskey. We'll hit on that and close on out. But yeah, just a note. So if you're looking for a review of this, you can find it over at thebourbonfinder.com. You can also find it by the time this airs at whiskeyraiders.com. This, I think, will score highly for me. I've got a couple more tastings to go before I put down a number. But if you're looking for all the flavor notes, if you're looking for information about the bottle, uh, you know, the rating and kind of the aggregate score, we'll have all of that. So check it out on thebourbonfinder.com or whiskeyraiders.com. Um, but moving on a little bit, this has been a big week you know, big couple weeks actually for the world of whiskey and that major acquisitions are happening. Uh, we've seen that Campari, who owns Wild Turkey and obviously Campari, the liqueur, 
and other stuff has has basically purchased Wilderness Trail Distillery, which was a smaller. I don't want to call it a craft distillery because their volume was unbelievable, but you know, right. they're a newer face to the world of whiskey. They're not what we'd call like a heritage distillery like beam or makers mark or, you know, Buffalo trace or heaven Hill or any of those, but they, they went ahead, just hauled off and bought 70% of wilderness trail for $420 million. And then just now we've seen Diageo, uh, who's a, the second biggest spirits conglomerate, if not the biggest went ahead and purchased Balconis down in Texas um, so I'm curious what you think about the changing landscape of whiskey. You know, we, we hear about companies get bought all the time, but usually we drink whiskey and talk about companies getting bought instead of drinking whiskey and being like, oh, it's the distilleries themselves getting bought. And I want to know your thoughts because I have a couple myself. Yeah. Okay. So the way that this verse kind of hits me is a great for the brand. The brand in this case, the, the first topic you mentioned there, Wilderness Trail, very good for them. Uh, Dr. Pat Heist great guy, very, very smart man who has put together this incredible whiskey brand, uh, focused around his firm pro business there where they were focused on fermentation. Anyway, they build this brand and over, geez, what? They're in their seventh-ish year of operating, Jay? Something along those lines? Um, And to sell for that much money shows you how much revenue that they're really churning out, right? Because that's how these valuations happen. So if somebody's buying 70% of this company for that many dollars, you know that there's a lot of potential there. They've got a ton of liquid set aside, already aging. So that, you know, they've got the assets on hand, they've got the know-how, they've established that they can obviously produce a boatload of whiskey, good whiskey at that, that people want to buy and source. So my first thought is awesome, great for them. That they were obviously doing something right, I mean, it's a tried and true business model, right? This is like not unlike the whistle pig that we were talking about earlier. Brands right. founded, <laughs> either founded by or consulted with Dave Pickerel. So, you know, he sort of had the model of own your backyard, take your brand and build it and just kill it in your area. When you are selling it out in your area every time you're doing it right, then start to expand. And when you expand big enough, you're most likely going to start getting offers. And that's where some of these distilleries are at now, which I think is cool for them. I think, and that's a little bit of a short-sighted way to look at it. I have to admit that. But I feel like it is great for them in terms of their business. They've effectively proven that they can do what they want the right way and that people want it. That's great. What it does to the whiskey industry as a whole, well, that might be something a little bit different. I want to give you a chance to weigh in on that. I think you hit a good point for me, which is, you know, Wilderness Trail, like the guys, you know, uh, Shane and Dr. Pat Heist are two of the coolest guys in whiskey. First off, you know, Pat is not only a talented scientist, but a talented whiskey maker. He's also a pretty darn like good a rock musician. star too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literal. I mean, you, you've seen, if you haven't seen his beard, we'll throw a picture down in the comments. Um, like this, this guy is a rocker and also a rock star of whiskey. And these guys have been just busting their hump for years. So I, I hear some people be like, oh man, what a cop out, what a sellout, you know, oh, you know, just doing all, you know, they just brought this distillery up quick to make some quick cash. I'm like, no, like these guys have been going hard in the paint to make good whiskey for a long time. And they yeah. have a an extremely strong cash flow. They have extremely strong, you know, contracting ability. They are valuable and they're staying on. Like, you know, Campari's not going to just lay everyone off and and change things. They bought 
Wilderness Trail, I think for the uh, immense utility it has, they're producing whiskey for tons of different brands. They're producing their own whiskeys. They're really good at distilling. You know, they, they needed some capital to make some really necessary, like kind of growth stage changes. They're big enough to need to start thinking about, you know, whether doing going biodynamic on their waste and how they deal with waste and building some new warehouses. I don't think this is a cop out at all. I think this is Shane and Pat being like, you know, we've grown wilderness trail as big as we can go without going nuts over the next couple of years. Right. Let's take on a huge capital investment and take this thing to the moon. Like let's do what we've been doing and do it bigger. And we know that part of the agreement was that in 2031, if things are going well and Campari likes what they see, Campari can buy the other 30%. And that tells me that, you know, Pat and Shane have plenty of work to do. 2031 is a long time away. If they were going for a get rich quick scheme, they wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't right. sign a deal. That's not it. In nine years. We'll, we'll see how things are going. So to sure. me, I, I think that there's a conversation around how this changes the industry, like consolidation has been happening a lot of places. We know that Campari, uh, I don't think Campari is the best at running brands, but maybe this is a signaling that Campari is like, yo, if we're going to buy two major whiskey brands at this point, we need to build the backbone and the talent and we really need to focus and drop. Nothing says focus like dropping 400 million. Like, right. like that's a lot of money. That's, yeah. that's a, just a metric. You have my attention with that number. Right. It's no small investment. They would be dumb not to take good care of Wilderness Trail because they just spent $400 million. It's unreal to me. Yeah. So it, just that little uh, tidbit there kind of spurred a few things to me like like when people think that that's a cop or if anybody has negative feedback about it, that is sort of like skin deep feedback on it's a cop out or it's a sellout or it's a get rich quick thing. Like the first thing that kind of comes to mind for me is think about the last time that you spent every ounce of your working energy for nearly a decade on your job. Like you built not just one business, but two, because this is, Firm Pro is also what has like sort of spawned into creating Wilderness Trail Distillery. So Dr. Pat has really extended nearly everything he can into like these two projects that have, I'm sure in a lot of ways are easy to look at as one. But like, had you done all of that and put that much effort and energy into it for nearly a decade, wouldn't you feel like you'd like to see a massive return on all of that? I mean, yeah. hell, have you gone 10 years? or nearly 10 years in a job and been like, fuck, I have done a lot of really great work here. I, I don't need a raise though. I don't need any more money. I'm doing right. well enough. Like, come on, like this is progress in its truest form. So to anybody who is feeling that way, I think I'm probably not in the same camp as you, to put it nicely. And then additionally, you mentioned also that uh, Campari may not be the best at running brands, which I mean, in some ways, they must be doing something great because they are in a position to spend 400 and something million dollars on American whiskey companies. My complaints have been uh, not quiet about the way that they manage their American whiskey portfolio, namely Wild Turkey. So I feel like, if nothing else, I hope that Campari has learned a lot of lessons from managing Wild Turkey as a brand and what they're doing with that. And Wild Turkey has a very vocal very loyal fan base and if they use that and extrapolate that into how can we make good moves with wilderness trail distillery and what we do with that i think they can get onto a good course i agree i'm with you there 
I think that this will be one of the most interesting things to watch. And that's not even, you know, Diageo buying Balconis. That makes a lot more sense for me. Bal you know, Diageo has a ton of money. Balconis knows how to make rum and whiskey and single malt. Like that's just a utility buy. Overall, I'm I'm a curious watcher. I think it's a little early to say this is great for the industry. This is bad for the industry. But certainly like Wilderness Trail, it was we all knew it was a matter of time before they got bought. The question was just who. And the only thing that surprised me was that Campari pulled out that big leather bound Italian checkbook and cut a four hundred million dollar check. And, you know, that to me is kind of what made me gasp. But, uh, you know, I, I think good points all around. We'll watch it. We'll certainly continue to report on it. We'll see how things go. I don't think Wilderness Trail will taste different tomorrow. I don't think it'll taste no. different. A couple of years from now, I do trust the team. And with that, I feel like we're on a, a pretty good foot to wrap up. But yeah, I was curious for your thoughts. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a good talk, man. I really like digging into some of those topics and especially how we can kind of uh, throw some wild shit out there, get each other's opinion on it, and hopefully maybe even spur a little bit of audience interaction on that one. I would love to hear more people's thoughts on this because I am far from thinking that I've got great opinions. I've got opinions. For sure. And we're certainly not the only opinion. That's very <laughs> Yes. I would love to hear some more about these and maybe we could discuss them further as we go on. I, I mean, this will be fun to watch it develop and see what other brands are scooped up and acquired here throughout the rest of this year. Yeah, it'll, it'll be uh, two huge acquisitions in a week. I definitely don't think we're at the end of the acquisition road. I think now that we're kind of, you know, near the end of the year, people are throwing out the big checks. But next year, I'm sure we'll be a totally different slate as well but a uh, perfect note to end on so you know we this has been a great first episode guys if you are still hanging with us can't tell you how much we appreciate it if you've enjoyed the episode so far please uh, feel free to share it uh, with a whiskey lover that you know drop us a note john is the bourbon finder on instagram um, i'm at whiskey raiders running that account as well as my own personal one take dot review uh, take is t-a-k-e um, and honestly we would love to see you here again in the second episode uh, John and I have lots of whiskey to taste. We love meeting, you know, a couple times a week at this point to record and have a good time. So we look forward to having you with us as well. Uh, any closing notes, John, or should we wrap wrap this carnival? No, I think that we've done uh, as much damage as we can for one recording session here. Uh, <laughs> again, just if you guys are looking for more from either of us, you know our websites by this point. I don't want to continually drill it, even though we are kind of supposed to. I would just love to get some uh, audience interaction and hopefully we can continue on this road of making ridiculous ideas come into the podcast format. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a great time, guys. Uh, if you have questions about whiskey, please give them to us. We will make sure to cover them. We are here to help you through your whiskey journey, just as John and I are kind of working through ours every single day. So it has been awesome. You can find us everywhere you get your podcast every Thursday. We would love to see you on whiskeyreaders.com and at John's website, The Bourbon Finder as well. And with that, I say cheers, guys. Have a great pour. If you love something, let us know. We'll taste it and we'll, uh, we'll have a good time. And we will see you in the next episode. So thanks for joining us, guys. And cheers. Cheers, guys.